From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Dan Snow's History Hit. Uh, This is a fun story. On the podcast today, we've got the very brilliant uh, photojournalist, Marissa Roth. We were filming in the National Army Museum just before Christmas in London, and she was there on business. And she noticed all our film equipment, stopped us, and wanted to have a chat. And we realised that she was a big deal, so we asked to come on the podcast. She's a photojournalist. She was part of the Los Angeles Times team that won the Pulitzer Prize for their coverage of the 1992 Los Angeles riots. And she's taken all sorts of extraordinary photographs ever since. You will doubtless have seen some of her images. One particular exhibition that won her many plaudits was Witness to Truth. It was commissioned by the Museum of Tolerance, the Simon Wiesenthal Centre in Los Angeles. It features portraits of Holocaust survivors. She's very interested in, in photographing people that have survived trauma, survived conflict, survived war, particularly women. So it was really, really good to get her on the podcast And it was a very fortuitous meeting on that West London street. If you want to watch the documentary we were producing that day, it was actually on the 100th anniversary of The Unknown Warrior in the National Army Museum. You can go to History Hit TV. It's like Netflix for history. It's got hundreds of history documentaries on there. All these podcasts are on there um, without the commercial, the advert on the front. So if you head over to historyhit.tv, we still got the January sale on, actually. It's still January, folks dragging a little but it's still January which does mean that you can get a month for free with the code January and then three months for 80% off so just a few cents a few pence uh, will get you through till well I don't know in four, four months I mean that's that's through till May that's through till May for less than the price of a cappuccino so you so head over there and do that now particularly if your teachers, thank you very much, all the teachers, for the feedback on the lockdown learning episodes we, we're producing. Just did another one with Mark Morris. It will be out on Friday. Um, if you want, you, people are asking about other resources, you are, of course, welcome. I, of course, I encourage you to go to historyhit.tv uh, and use that code January, and then you can uh, get access to History Hit for the cheapest possible uh, deal that we give each year. So please head over there and do that. In the meantime, everyone, here's Melissa Roth. Enjoy. Marissa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Dan, for having me. It's a pleasure. I really, really appreciate it. Let's go right back to the beginning of your extraordinary career. How, how did you start? How does one find oneself going to the world's most terrible war zones and, and taking photos there? Well, I just need to sort of clarify one thing is I, I didn't actually photograph in the war zones. For me, it was really about telling the other side of war uh, the women's side. And so um, I wanted to, you know, photograph in the refugee camps, but I was also really interested to know the aftermath, the consequences. So I, I never really wanted to be a war photographer per se. I knew I didn't have that aspect in me. I believe we all have thresholds and I just didn't really 
want to put myself in front of that kind of extremities, if you will. But I mean, I worked as a photojournalist in LA and covered the riots there and was constantly in the thick of it, photographing gang shootings. I photographed a coup attempt in the Philippines. But, you know, during those times, I discovered more about myself, if you will. Um, and I think as a woman, um, I was recognizing there was an underreported perspective on war, which was the consequences for war on women. Your photography is so remarkable because it deals with uh, both the vic- direct victims of conflict, but also those who lose loved ones and whose lives are upended. And the way that you take your portraits feels extraordinarily democratic because whether it's a mother in... Illinois, with a port, with you know, with her child's portrait, a, a lost, a lost son, in, or, or someone in Cambodia, or you, you treat them all, you know, you as, as of course you should, but you tr- there's something about your treatment of these women that's uh, that just emphasizes their their common humanity. First of all, thank you. Um, well, I think it, I mean that's really at the heart of it all. No matter who you are, where you come from, what's your ethnicity, your racial background, your geography. You know, at the end of the day, or at the beginning of the day, human emotions are all the same for everyone. Um, And, you know, I learned a lot from the women who I met and photographed. And it was actually a woman in Northern Ireland, in Londonderry, whose name I'm now forgetting, I can look it up, but, she was Protestant and she had lost her husband who was a police officer to um, a sniper's bullet. And she was pregnant with their second child. And um, she said to me, she said, I bet you're finding that women are the same everywhere. And when she said that it was like a key to the whole project. Um, So, and I, yes, I, I also tried to be democratic when possible to tell multiple sides of a story, let's say coming back to Northern Ireland. So I felt, you know, I wanted to photograph Catholic women. I wanted to photograph Protestant women. Um, Certainly my own background and my family's background in relation to the Holocaust, but I felt I also needed to tell another side of the story. So I chose to interview German women who had survived the siege of Berlin. Um, So I've tried, again, to have a very global, compassionate view um, and just be almost like a reteller of the stories. You just avoid the cliche that I always fall into when I'm taking my own little photographs, but which is it's so temp- it must be so tempting to bring, you know, the geographical context into it and say, look, you know, Vietnam, here, look, rice paddy fields. Your, your portraits of, of women, I say they're, they're stripped of a lot of that so that you... You see the woman. You don't. You don't see the. Oh, this is a story. This is the Cambodian woman. This is the North, This is the one in Derry. Look, there are the walls of Derry. You know, it's it's. Do, do you, how deliberately do you do that? That's a really interesting question. But I think it's. I've always had a global view, uh, and I don't know where that comes from. I mean, my parents were Hungarian Holocaust refugees. We lost a lot of family in the Holocaust. Um, I came late to their marriage, so I had very mature parents, and I always felt like I was 40 years old, even when I was born, practically. So I think I had a very different worldview, not so small, but much larger, larger in a sense. But again, I think the common emotions, common humanity, for me, was the core of the whole 
project. I mean, it's who I am. It's how I approach every subject, I suppose, whether it's, you know, Hollywood actor or, you know, uh, a girl who's trying to get out of an LA gang or whatever it is. I, I try not to fall into the trap of cliches, even if I'm so photographing a sunset. I did a book on the Atlantic Ocean and specifically avoided taking beautiful sunset pictures. So maybe I'm a bit allergic to cliches. I don't know. So You, you and I are at uh, opposite ends. I'm, I'm at the Instagram hashtag sunset end of the uh, photography <laughs> spectrum here. How important do you think, when you're taking pictures of the Holocaust Survivors Project, now women in, uh, women in war, uh, what, what is what can photography do? What are, what are we? What are these photographs supposed to achieve? Well, I would say I hope they achieve to teach a bit more about history and the consequences of conflict on women, and the fact you know that women are also mothers, so it goes down by generations. Women are the ones during and after war, conflict, genocide, they're typically the ones to hold it all together. And then they're also the ones to sort of keep the show on the road. Um, Oftentimes they don't um, take care of themselves, you know, in the same way. Uh, They heal their physical wounds, but they just, they're so, you know, caught in the act of just surviving and then remaking and rebuilding lives. so, and, and that was across the board. It didn't matter if it was Vietnam or Cambodia or Bosnia or, you know, or Jordan, wherever it was. Um, so I, I think, I mean, my hope is to show our common humanity, but also it was to give each of these women a voice and a face. And I think it also comes out, what I came to learn over the course of the project was this really was also about one of my grandmothers, my paternal grandmother, who was killed in a massacre on the doorstep of her home in Novi Sad in 1942. And I feel in a way I found her through this project and apparently I'm a lot like her. And so now I can also tell her story and I can you know, put her name in print, um, which has been really, really important for me. So it's just, so many of these women had never told their story before. I mean, I met a German woman in Berlin and in 65 years, no one had ever asked her to tell about her experience. And she ended up speaking for six hours. I'm not a psychologist, but I knew I just had to let her run. And it was like she was downloading 65 years of everything. And I couldn't even get a, an interesting photograph of her because she was like so gone. She was just, you know, unloading. Um, so hopefully in her case, it was an opportunity for her to release. Um, so it's, 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 been, it's been an amazing project. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb, and on Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, I'm looking for answers to the big questions about every aspect of life in the early modern period. Like, how did the memory of Anne Boleyn continue to influence the court of her daughter, Elizabeth I? How were fairies brought to life on the Elizabethan stage? And how did the arrival of male-only doctors threaten the lives of women? In other words, not just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. 
twice a week, every week. Subscribe now and follow me on Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. I find it very, very difficult. Uh, perhaps as a man, I find it very difficult talking to women, uh, Rwanda genocide survivors, survivors of violent sexual assault on the battlefield that I've met in camps and other places around the world. Uh, how how do you deal with that? That, that, you, that you've met some of these extraordinary, for this project, so many women who have been so hurt in so many ways. How, how have you, how has that been for you? Honestly, it's taken a toll psychologically and emotionally. Um, I probably have a certain form of trauma-acquired PTSD. Um, uh, but, you know, um, also, again, as a newspaper in L.A., I photographed everything that crashed, burned, shook, you know, so. Um, but I think I inherited also a certain amount of trauma, in a sense, just from my own family's history. Um, I mean, my parents never talked about sort of the war. My father never talked about his parents or a grandmother or an uncle who were also killed in that massacre. My mother lost a brother in Hungary. So they, it was like they closed an emotional door when they got to America. You know, everything was beautiful and la-la land. But, you know, the trauma was always there. Um, so I think, I mean, I've tried to express, I mean, I think this project is my way of trying to put it in a place that's important as a documentary, you know, record. But, you know, I, I have my moments. Um, a few years ago, I, I was almost feeling like I was cracking under the weight of the whole thing. But um, I did a project over the last five years on the Atlantic Ocean and just photographed the ocean. And it started, it was inspired by my parents who actually met and fell in love on the original Queen Mary sailing to America in October of 1938. And they got there two weeks before Kristallnacht. So I think for me, the ocean became almost a catharsis and it was all about emotion. And it's a very emotive project. It's, 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 it's like the Atlantic Ocean as an emotional journey. And in a way that really, I hate to use the word healing because I think that's a, almost like a fictitious, uh, simple answer. But it, it, it was definitely a way for me to set my own uh, I think sort of traumas or what I had witnessed and heard in a much more peaceful place. Now the ocean and that work sort of overlays everything. Um, but, you know, it, it takes a toll, as you know, you can't, you can't unsee things in your mind's eye that you've seen. You can't, um, you can't detach from the emotions that you've witnessed or experienced. You can try, you know, I mean, I could, you know, obliterate myself with drugs or alcohol but I, I choose not to I chose I choose to process it and try to imbue the emotions the feelings and maybe as a teacher I mean I love teaching also and so I, I see this as a way of teaching history teaching about emotion um, but at the heart of it I think I'm also a peace activist um, I think I became a peace activist when I was like eight or nine years old 
growing up, you know, in the in the '60s with the Vietnam War as the backdrop, um, all the activism and craziness, the civil rights movement. I was very influenced by the whole peace movement, and um, so I think, in a way, I'm still that's at the deepest part of my core. So I, I suppose I'm on a mission. <laughs> Do you think? Being a woman has been essential to, to uh, making this project work, gaining trust, you know, whatever it, uh, whatever it has taken. I mean, obviously, I'm not a man, so I can't compare myself in terms of a, a literal experience. But I would say absolutely. Certainly one of the first subjects that I photographed were Afghan women refugees in Pakistan and, um, in 1988. And this was at the end of the war with the Soviet Union. And I went into a couple refugee camps, one in Tal and one in, in Peshawar. I was on my own, actually. I was, uh, and I just walked into the women's section of the camps. And, you know, because I was a woman, I had total access. But I think, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's probably a comfort thing, a trust thing. But also, I come very, uh, I always say I travel with an open mind and an open heart. And... I can't tell you how many incredible hugs I got from some of these women, you know, who we started as strangers, but within five minutes, it was a a connection, you know, and often I would share my own family's war history, which, you know, it's a common experience. People want to know that others understand what it feels like, you know, it's not so isolating. Um, I can't let you go before I ask you about one of the many uh, remarkable moments of your career when you won a, a Pulitzer for your photojournalism in the LA riots that, that you've already uh, uh, that you've already mentioned. Um, what what was that experience like? Did was it just a, another day in the office for you, and then you you had to you turned up on because you were you were an LA resident, right? That was your day job at that point. Yeah, so I I'm born and raised in LA, um, although I never loved it there. But you know, life happens. You know, I, I graduated from UCLA, and um, I was actually a graphic design major, but I also loved photography, and I was a staff photographer on the college newspaper, yeah. the Daily Bruin. And I basically just dove headlong into photojournalism, working for the LA Times a couple of years later. So I would say it wasn't just another day in the office, though we were all, you know, all the, the photographers were, you know, we were constantly in the thick of it there. LA was really edgy in those years. It's still pretty edgy. Um, so again, I was always in South Central photographing gang shootings, or you had to go out and photograph a car crash or, you know, the September fires, we were all, you know, running off to a a fire or, you know, then the ground shakes and you're in an earthquake. So it was a lot of adrenaline and it was a lot of like, you just, you just did what you knew you had to do. And also it was kind of fun, you know, I mean, you're just charged. I mean, it was exciting and it was a great group of, of young photographers, um, the riots were something else, though. Um, when the verdict came in on that Wednesday afternoon, I wasn't working that day. And um, I went into the office the next morning and um, we, you know, the photo editors sort of dispatch you. And so I got the call, I don't know, around 10 a.m. to go to a particular area. Um, but the day before at the flashpoint of the riots, uh, we knew that uh, a, a good friend of mine who was a stringer for the New York Times, he'd basically gotten beaten up and, his, and robbed, his cameras were stolen. 
and he sort of poured himself into his car bleeding and drove home. Um, and so everybody had that in the back of our minds, you know, that it, we're actually really vulnerable as well. So I wouldn't say it was a day, you know, normal day at the office, but it was like, I don't know how to say this. A strange thing happened and I, and it happened a lot of times when I was traveling, but it was almost this mentality of not invincibility, but because you are, are doing something with a, hopefully a noble purpose, you know, retelling stories, sharing stories that you're going to be okay or safe or, but I felt very vulnerable during the riots. I mean, I was trying to photograph and at the same time I was praying that nobody was going to hit me over the head, you know, and, and, but I think the worst moment for me, which has stayed with me was just watching the riots unfolding. Um, there was a moment, so the police, I won't go into the background with the police department and a completely crazy police chief who fomented so much of the aggression, but the police were basically trying to be neutral and very passive. And so these rioters were like running from one huge grocery store across the street to a huge, like a, like a, I don't know what it was, like a um, drug store. And it was just kind of wild. And, and then I'm like photographing mothers pushing babies and baby strollers, looting paper towels and Sony Walkmans. And that was actually the worst moment for me, which I carry to today, which I'm extremely concerned about potential violence in America because of the, during, you know, the elections is witnessing how thin the line is between civilization and anarchy. I mean, it can blow in a second and it was, it's hair thin. So that was actually one of the most disquieting experiences because um, you think we're safe and we're so civilized, but actually it can tip over in a nanosecond. I know there's a few young people that listen to this who are doing media and, and uh, photojournalism and things at, at college, university. Do you think there will always be a role for the Marissa Roths, you know, the, the, the photojournalists out there? I hope so. And by the way, I still shoot my old 35-year-old Nikons with film. Um, that's, so, so the whole Women in War project from start to finish, I shot with the same camera, same, same kind of Tri-X, Kodak Tri-X film. So while the, the, the camera models and make and all the super duper stuff is great, um, at the end of the day, it's still who's holding the camera and what you're thinking and feeling and trying the story that you're trying to tell. So I think a lot of what I would say to those young photographers and potential photojournalists is a photograph is an amalgamation of history. You're also trying to tell the context of a war conflict episode. Um, you're trying to imbue your own sort of bearing witness. I mean, every photograph has what you choose to leave in it and what you're choosing to leave out. So you, you're choreographing the experience for the viewer, but also you're the conduit for everything. A photograph doesn't exist. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it doesn't exist. It's, it's air, it's light. So the photographer is, is composing this thing, you know, with all of these elements. So if, if, you know, if your heart's not in it or if your emotions are not in it, you're going to feel that or see that the viewer. Um, so I would just say if, a young photographer really 
feels passionate about it, you know, go forth and try to do it, but be careful. I think there's a lot of young photographers. And even when I was starting off, they would go off to a war zone, you know, dreadfully unprepared, um, either, you know, in terms of gear or in terms, you know, psychologically or, you know, physically, um, you know, even if it's not a war zone, but even if you're covering, you know, riots, let's say here in London, you're physically vulnerable. You know, it's, it's, you've got to get out of your head and just remember, you know, you have a body attached and you can die. You can get really badly injured. And also psychologically, you can, you can really get, get wounded and you have to take care of, of your heart and soul. Um, you know, there are consequences. So that I, I wouldn't have changed a thing. It's been an, it's been an unexpected life and um, it's been extraordinary. Well, uh, tell us where we can go and see uh, your latest project. So you can see most of my recent projects on my website, uh, marissarothphotography.com. So hopefully I'll be having some exhibitions here in London um, once the world opens up again. I will tweet out that uh, website. So thank you very much, Marissa, for joining us on the podcast. Dan, thank you so, so much. It's been a pleasure and uh, I wish you well. hope you enjoyed the podcast just before you go bit of a favor to ask i totally understand if you don't want to become a subscriber or pay me any cash money makes sense but if you could just do me a favor it's for free go to itunes or wherever you get your podcast if you give it a five-star rating and give it an absolutely glowing review purge yourself give it a glowing review i'd really appreciate that it's a tough world out there law of the jungle out there and i need all the fire support i can get so that will boost it up the charts it's so tiresome but if you could do it i'd be very very grateful thank you 